Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. Hi guys and welcome back to A Millennial Mind. Today I've been waiting to speak to this person for so long and I'm so excited to share with you who it is. She's an incredible entrepreneur an editor and the CEO of Brown Girl Mag. I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Trisha Sakuja Walia. So hi, Trisha. Hi, babe. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I know that we've tried a few times to make this happen, so I am so happy yeah. we're finally here. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited to speak to you today. But for people who don't know who you are, can you give a little bit of an introduction as to who you are and what you do with Brown Girl Mag? Of course, no, definitely. Um, You know, folks may have heard or know of browngirlmagazine.com, but many don't know me. And I'm actually grateful Mm -hmm. for that because I get to be the person behind the scenes making it all happen. Um, And so, yeah, Brown Girl is my baby and I'm grateful to have uh, have it in my life for the past decade. And um, I focus on anything and everything that relates to the company. So whether it be content, marketing, social, um, sales, business development, uh, HR, admin, I am every role that you can imagine. Yeah, I love, yeah, that, I love so that you're so humble about, about it as well. I remember when we spoke, you were telling me who started it up and how you've grown it and continue the brand, but you always give recognition to the founder and I and I love that about you and I'm so excited to speak to you today and get into what we're about to talk about because I think the magazine is incredible the platform you've created is amazing with all the brands and the people you have on there and the messages you share are so important so I'm very grateful to have you here and um, I'm really excited to talk about our topic so we're going to be talking about the Indian expectation on comparison so I think you know, everybody knows, everyone compares everything, but I think especially within an Indian community, we compare absolutely everything. And it's not since the rise of social media for, for like it is for the majority of people since we've been born, you are compared. And I guess I want to explore what, why is that? Exactly. It's so wild. It's always like, oh, you know, did you see your friend or your cousin or your niece? Yeah. She's doing this. She's doing that. They're doing that. It's crazy. Like, of course, we've heard it all our lives. And um, I, for the most part, did kind of brush it off my shoulders. 
So it affected me, but I, I did try my best to brush it off my shoulders a lot. Um, I remember kind of like ignoring my parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what about in terms of how you compare yourself now in terms of social media? And, you know, we have the ability to constantly compare ourselves with a swipe. You know, before it was more around the people we knew and the stories we heard. And it was a lot slower. Whilst I think now we're constantly seeing what people are doing and we have the ability to just compare ourselves against anything or anyone even yeah. people we don't know exactly it's so hard not to do it of course every single person does it um i know i've caught myself doing it a lot um especially because i live on instagram i yeah. you know we have brown girl mag we have our anthology page we have our slashy connects page um we have um, our podcast page so i'm in and out so many um instagram pages and then of course i have my own personal page and you know what the hard thing for me is i we follow some of you know the same people on the same on different pages so there is definitely overlap in who we're following and that's really tough for me on a daily basis because i will see the same post sometimes three or four times in the same day yeah and that will definitely get to me um sometimes and then most of the time i try my best to just stay really focused especially when i'm on instagram so i know the task i have on instagram i finish that task i maybe scroll around and then i leave because i can't wow. take more of instagram than it, it already is a part of my life i just had a detox from instagram because i just had enough of it and i think I sometimes go through these phases where I love it and I post all the time and generally I do. I'm def definitely very active on Instagram, especially with the podcast and, you know, with other things that I do, I have to be quite active on social media. But there are times where I feel that I'm comparing myself so much because I think it's very subtle. It's not that I am looking at something and saying, oh my God, I wish I looked like her. It's very much, I see something that is then the image I have in my head of what that thing should be. So let's just say I see a bikini picture of someone and then I think, oh wow, that's what a perfect body looks like. I then see myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I look awful. But it's because I've had all these subliminal and subconscious messages from Instagram that are telling me what looks great and what doesn't look great. And then I put that pressure on myself to then judge myself. And I, I think the worst thing about comparison is when you're comparing yourself, whether it's in a positive way, you're saying that you're better than somebody. And when you're doing it in a negative way, you're just putting yourself down and beating yourself up about your insecurities. So whichever way you look at it, it's really an illusion. It's something that you're creating in your own head and it's negative in either way you look at it because you shouldn't look at somebody and say, oh, I'm better than them. So I'm comparing myself to people who are not as good as me or not doing as well as me because everyone has their own thing and their own journey. And you also shouldn't look at it in a negative way because it can become so toxic and you can start to really be obsessed with what societal trends are and what other people are thinking rather than what you think of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, both sides are tough and they're toxic. Mm -hmm. um, and both sides are just also really... Um, it takes a lot to let those feelings go for real. You know, it's one thing to be like, oh, I'm not going to compare myself on a surface level. But when you're seeing the same stuff on your feed day in and day out, and that same person yeah. who you, you know, maybe already have trouble um, digesting, <laughs> it, it's yeah. tough to see it almost 365 <laughs> days of the year. No, no and, and I agree. I agree. And I think we're so, we're so obsessed with looking good and comparing ourselves and we're so scared to show sometimes who we really are like I know people 
who post pictures in like the most amazing cars and wear the most amazing clothes and you know are putting on an image of someone who isn't representative of themselves and they're doing that because they're worried about what other people will say and of this comparison culture that we live in and I think especially within an Indian culture the most famous words that anyone ever says is what will other people say? What will other people think of you? What are they going to say about us? And it's it's a very common phrase that I think is used in every single Indian family. I'm sure people listening to this right now or watching this or whatever are going to be agreeing with me that in within every Indian household, that is the title after every conversation you speak. That is what we say after everything. So it's so toxic because it can really impact who you are as a person. And especially within the Indian community, we're obsessed with what the other person someone in our community is going to say about us yep Lokia Kenge yep. is Lokia like Kenge. top of mind for almost every South Asian Desi parent out there across the diaspora um it doesn't matter where you live um what your upbringing mm-hmm. is or what your background is um you know you'll definitely catch your parents saying Lokia Kenge for any decision definitely. you make in life you know god forbid you're for dating sure. God forbid you choose a creative career or, you know, perhaps you are wearing a short, a shirt that's too, you know, cropped. Yeah. <laughs> Look at <laughs> <Kenge> for everything. <laughs> We're covered today. Covered today. We're, fine. We're fine. We're, We're fine. wearing long. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's also because within an Indian culture, you know, failing isn't an option. So whether that's you're failing in a subject, you're failing in a relationship, or you're failing in the image that you're portraying, Failure really isn't an option. It's really been taught to us from such a young age. I think most of us who are living in the US or the UK or wherever you are, we're coming from families who have migrated here. We weren't born here. And so this idea of like the good immigrant is the is the narrative that's fed to us. And, you know, failure isn't an option because our parents have sacrificed a lot for us to be here. They've gone through a lot more than we've ever could like we could ever dream of. So this notion of failing is what people are so afraid of doing and therefore they often give a different image or a different way of life than they used that they're that they give a different sorry they give a different image to who they really are exactly i mean it's wild we've all seen it in our families i know i've definitely experienced that um in in many ways and i think that Finally, though, as we become older, I think hopefully that mm-hmm. mindset is starting to, you know, it's yeah. not trying to, it's not completely gone, but I, I think it's slowly going to vanish away. At least I'm, I'm very hopeful and optimistic. <laughs> no, I agree. I definitely think it is. But I think the thing that we also are changing, and I think this is definitely changing within our generation, is that people are more positive around what other people say. I think the reason why failure is such an important thing to grow from and to learn from and to accept is because once you identify that you failed at something, it then somehow doesn't seem like the biggest thing in the whole world, you know? When you watch, I watch so many videos and they say how people have overcome their failure and how you can start at whatever age. And sometimes it feels, you know, when you're going through it yourself that there's no escape. But often when you hear a lot of these talks or, you know, you listen to a lot of people that have overcome their failures and how they've grown from it, it really helps to inspire you. But I think within the Indian culture, we don't talk about our failures, which means we can't grow from them. And because we don't talk about our failures, we start to then be negative around what other people are doing wrong. So instead of saying, you know, this person has, you know, tried so many different businesses and they've risen so many times, it's like he's been bankrupt so many times, he's so unstable. And we're so negative about other people because we don't accept 
failure ourselves. How do you think that we can start to change that? I love that. I mean, you put that so eloquently. I mean, it makes so much sense. You're right. The way that we do talk about someone's failure, I think it just, it rings true to the culture that we are unfortunately kind of having to navigate. Um, But, but yeah, I, I think with the conversations that you're having today, right? Like, so for instance, I took the LSAT, which is the entrance, entrance exam for law school. I took it five times. And, um, and, and, and that is a failure of some sorts, right? I took it five times and I never went to law school. I spent about mm-hmm. two and a half, three years studying for it, took every class, um, LSAT course that you can imagine. I also had a private tutor um, and I did see that as a failure and, and my parents definitely saw it as a failure too in some capacity, right? They were still very supportive. They're still like the more modern, cooler version of Desi parents. So I want to give them all the credit that they deserve. But of course, they were tough on me in that moment. In those couple of years, there was a lot of friction and back and forth about me going to law school and studying hard for the LSATs. And so it was a failure. But I think that Mm -hmm. the way that my family and I have been able to like overcome that failure and see LSAT and law school as a part of my destiny that just wasn't meant to happen, I, I think having that conversation now, almost 10 years later, it's different. And I'm grateful that my parents can see it as, you know what, like you tried your best and and they watched me try for a few years and it didn't happen and it's okay. And I think I was grateful to have finally heard that a few years later, Um, but it did take a lot of just, you know, hey, look, I tried, like you watched me try. I really tried and it didn't happen. So I think, when it comes to they see parents, we just need to be as honest as possible with them to be like, this is what we attempted. It didn't happen. And there is some sort of thing as destiny and fate. And we have to fight yeah. and, and we have to like, you know, we can't fight that. It's just, we can't fight it. So I think that there is capacity for they see parents to understand, but it does take time. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much for being so vulnerable. I, I love that you shared that so openly and you know you are I love that about you and I think that's why what attracted me to speaking to you was that you're just so open about your failures and you embrace them and I love it when people do that because it makes you feel like you're not the only one you know it makes you feel that you aren't the only one who's gone through something really tough and I love the perseverance I love that you did that five times and applied I could have maybe gone but you know, I was just so like, I wasn't in the right mindset to go. Yeah. And I'm grateful that I didn't go. Like looking back, I'm genuinely <laughs> I'm genu- having this conversation. Exactly, right? <laughs> and I wouldn't have worked on Brown Girl as hard as I have over the past few years. And I wouldn't have found journalism as a career in the way that I did if I went to law school. Um, so I'm definitely grateful for how things turned out. But in that moment, Oh my God, I was mad at myself. I was, you know, I felt all the types of ways a failure would feel in those few years of me trying to go to law school. Yeah. And I think what heightens that is that it's comparison. It's, oh, that person, that wasn't their path and that wasn't what they did. And why am I, why is mine different? And I think it's so important to realize that everyone has different paths and different ways to getting to places. But it's very easy to say that objectively so how you've said your parents are now okay with it it's because you know you've done so well and you've grown into this grown this incredible business and so it's very easy for them to now say okay well I'm glad that didn't work for you and that wasn't destiny same with mine you know it's very easy 
in hindsight to say, oh, that didn't work and I'm really glad that you're doing this. But in that moment, how do you stop yourself from feeling like a failure? Because you've mentioned a few times that, you know, you feel that you failed. I don't, you know, looking at it now, it definitely probably doesn't seem like a failure. But in that moment, how did you push yourself to keep on persevering, keep on pushing through and then allowing yourself to really make that decision to walk away from it all? Yeah, no, definitely a tough decision. I don't think I had like, you know, a aha moment. I think it was more, more in the lines of like, I had to kind of keep going. I was grateful enough to get into a master's program for public policy, which was a really good, you know, like, um, it was a good place for me to understand policy in general and how laws are made and how they're how they actually start um, at the very local level. So it was great that I had that master's to kind of fall back on. Um, but yeah, I mean, in those few years that I was trying, it was exceptionally hard because I had a pretty good group of friends who were also trying to go to law school. And um, my boyfriend at the time was studying with me, who's now my husband, and he went to law school. His best friend went to law school. My best friend was trying to go to law school too, and she ended up going too. So almost, you know, the closest people in my life ended up in law school. And my husband started a legal tech company while in law school. So it was a lot to digest. I mean, I wouldn't be human if I didn't feel envious of some sorts. I felt like, you know, I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was eight years old and I wanted to get into politics and make um and and make policy and be a part of the future um generation for women specifically and i wanted to do it through law and i never realized that i could still work on all those things through another career because i was so bottlenecked and i thought law or nothing else and i never realized that through building a community doing journalism um you know and and navigating the media space i could maybe make a small impact that way too. So in that moment, I had no idea. But what I am grateful for is the little bit of um, education that I did have, I was grateful to have pursued a minor in journalism, which just happened, right? Again, it's all destiny. I picked up that minor in journalism um, as a way to impress law school administration. So I wanted to have something extra under, under my belt. And it Lo and, be- lo and behold, it gave me a whole new career. So I think that's so important to kind of just take note, right? That even in your darkest moments when you feel like you are failing, there's other aspects of your life that are waiting right there for you. Like journalism was right underneath my yeah. nose the whole time. And I didn't really care about it. I never saw myself as a journalist. I never saw myself as a writer, not realizing that media and journalism is waiting there for me to pick up and like flourish within. So I think that, yeah, for anyone who's struggling in that moment, look around you and see, hey, is there something else that's gravitating towards me that I haven't seen yet? Because if I maybe follow that path, maybe it will lead me to something that I never imagined before. I love love that. that. So well put and so uplifting. I hope that people listening and watching to this really resonated with that. I really resonated with that. I hope they do too. But I think within an Indian culture, the way you've just spoken and how I feel that, you know, how you said you had friends that are doing, were doing law and your boyfriend was doing law. How are they in terms of your decision? Were they rooting for you? Absolutely. I think that I've been the most grateful for is like a solid group of friends. Like I was just mentioning my best friend um, whose birthday it was this weekend. She's 
I knew yeah. her since I was she was nine. So definitely being grateful to have that set of just friends who will ground you. Um, I think that like there is nothing that can replace a good set of friends, even if it's just two best friends who you can call. It goes a really, really, really long way. And then having friends who are South Asian who can understand the pressures. Yeah also helps <laughs> so definitely. No, definitely definitely it definitely, it definitely does a British thing I think for sure is that you know we we don't uplift people as much or we don't say we're doing really well so I remember when I came to New York I think it was last year or the year before and one of my cousins was like yeah I'm doing this and I'm doing this and we were all a bit like surprised like oh wow you really are like bigging yourself up and when I reflected on that I was like why is that a bad thing? Why shouldn't you show the things that you're doing? And why shouldn't you be proud of who you are? And I think within our culture and also living here in the UK, we don't really share when we're doing really well. We will share when we're doing badly. And on social media, everyone just shares their highlights for sure. But when you meet somebody and they say, how's life? You'll be like, yeah, it's okay. You will never say life is amazing. And when you say that, if you ask anyone, and I'm sure people listening to this will resonate, if you ask people, someone, how are you doing? And they say, I'm amazing. Someone will be like, whoa, <laughs> what's amazing? What's so amazing about your life? It's like a, but I noticed when I was in America, I don't know if you've noticed that too, is that people are more open to saying, yeah, I'm doing this and life is great. And I've earned this much money. And I've, I've been doing a million projects at once and everything's great. And it's a very different culture. I don't know if you find that. I think so. I think the New York hustle is a little bit of both for sure. You're definitely going to find lots of people. I definitely agree with you. You're going to find lots of people who will speak about the work that they're doing. Sometimes it may be borderline cocky, but, <laughs> but, but, but it, it, no, I, I do. I do see that in New York and I, I think it's that hustle nature, right? Everyone wants everyone to know that, Hey, I've got this project. I've got that campaign. I'm working for this big gigantic company. So I think that hustle mentality is definitely so ingrained in all of us New Yorkers that we do want to talk about all the work that we're doing. And I think it also is a little bit, um, I, I think it also sometimes is tough, right? Because we're constantly mm -hmm. on to the next thing. We never want our hustle to die down. We always want to be yeah. able to be like, I'm working on this, I'm working on that. So yeah, I mean, I, I think both sides of it, it's tough to kind of live in yeah. that bubble, especially the South Asian bubble in New York. It's big, but not that big. So everyone does know yeah. each other. Um, and yeah, so I, I can understand where you're coming from in that culture shift that you did see. Yeah. Um, I think for me personally, it is tough to be like, hey, I'm not doing well. I think saying that yeah. is sometimes harder than saying, hey, I'm doing okay and I'm working on XYZ. Like, Sometimes it's just easier to talk about the work you're doing as opposed to how you're feeling. Yes, uh, so true. Yeah. But it, especially I think within the Indian culture, we don't say how we're feeling generally. I think people are, people are closed. Um, what I'm talking about like older generations, I think our generation are changing and I want to see that change, which is why I guess we're having this conversation. But um, from my perspective, I think that we just don't share what that we're doing well. And then one of the reasons for that, and this is like a, uh, what's the word, superstition, people say, because of the evil eye. Now, I don't know if I believe in the evil eye. It's a bit confusing for me. I'm in a little bit of a conflict because I believe people can send you really positive vibes 
And on that basis, if someone can send you positive vibes, then they can send you negative vibes. But at the same time, I don't believe people are out there saying, I wish she fails. I wish she doesn't do well. I hope something happens, you know. But at the same time, we believe that so much in our culture that we are afraid of saying what we're doing and how we're feeling. So, so I think a lot of parents say to their children or to members of their family, you know, don't show off about what you're doing or I'm not going to speak about you. I mean, you do get some parents who just go over the top and say my child is the best and they're amazing and you have that like extreme and then you'll have the other extreme of people saying, oh no, my child, no, she's all rubbish or he doesn't really do much or they talk negatively because they're worried about that the other they're, they're worried that the other person is going to give them like the evil eye or nudger as we call it. What do you think about that? So, oh gosh, I don't want to believe in nudger. I really don't. As <laughs> as like a modern millennial, you know, I, I don't want to, <laughs> but I kind of do, and it sucks. <laughs> I, I every time you I think you believe it, I do, and every time I think about it something does happen. So I don't know if it's a coincidence, no, but no. every time I do think like, oh, I shared too much and I shouldn't share that much. Um, and I, I, I do feel nervous to share. I do. Um, and I think that I have seen a decent amount of failure that when I'm excited and I'm celebrating something, I do hold myself back a little bit because I'm nervous. I'm genuinely nervous. Yeah. So I don't want to fall into that trap, but it's happened to me. Yeah. I think it's crazy because I think, look, I think it's important that people share what they're comfortable with. So, you know, if you're, if you're afraid of that, then that's completely fair. But I think it should never stop you from feeling that within yourself. And I think yeah. self-love is so weird in our culture because of that. So, you know, when yeah. people say, you know, I'm feeling really content, I'm feeling really happy, I'm really loving what I'm doing, people genuinely find it so bizarre. And when you see someone who generally has a, has a lot of love towards themselves, you see it as arrogance. And there is definitely a fine line between the two. Um, but I know, I think within our culture, we definitely look down at people who are really confident, especially as women, you know, like for men, I don't think it's as apparent when a woman is strong and she's happy and she's confident and she's smiley, people are like, oh, like, why do you have no insecurities? Or, you know, why do you, why do you think you're so amazing? I don't know. There's a lot of negative language around self-love within the Indian culture. Why do you think that is? tough all across the board. I think that's one notion that whether you're Desi, South Asian, Indian or not, I think just struggling with self-love is probably universal. And that's, mm -hmm. I think that's just, that's man-made, you know, like that yeah, is sure. a total man-made concept that unfortunately, um, you know, has been rubbed on us for generations and generations that, you know, feeling, uh, you know, sexy or beautiful or confident in who we are I mean that takes a lot I mean really I, I've definitely gone through you know a lot of the stages that many Desi girls do you know uh, I had a unibrow I had um, a mustache um, hairy arms hairy cheeks um, you know I had braces I had glasses you know and so I've definitely gone through quite a bit um, I've been grateful and privileged in other ways so I've mm -hmm. seen both sides of the spectrum. I definitely can relate to both. And I think that, yeah, I think that exuding your confidence comes with another layer of confidence. 
right? Yeah, In order to so show true. your confidence, you have to have this other layer of confidence. So yeah. me right now, I am a confident person, but for me to show my confidence, I'm not fully there yet. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, still, no, for sure. I'm still working on that, especially if I'm pitching myself or pitching the business, pitching Brown Girl. Um, I'm still working on building that confidence because I don't want to do too much. And I am yes, nervous about doing too much, showing too much, sharing too much, giving away too much of myself and my life. Um, and it, yeah, it is tough. I definitely, I'm navigating it. Um, and I feel more confident now as, you know, 30 than I ever did before. So I know that I'm in a better place now, but it is still mm -hmm. tough. Mm -hmm. But it is still tough. No, definitely. no, definitely. And I think in terms of comparison, you never want to feel that you're putting somebody else down if you're sharing too much because you never want them to feel, you know, oh, they're not doing enough or, you know, I, I think it's very difficult sometimes to share great things that you're doing. Well, I find it very difficult sometimes to share great things you're doing because I, I don't want to feel like I'm showing off or I'm bragging or that I'm I'm putting somebody else down because that's, that's really not what I'm trying to do. And I think because we've been raised to always not share anything, it's very hard to then start to do that. And it, especially I think with Instagram and that's, I think especially with social media and constantly seeing what everyone's doing, you also feel the need to overshare sometimes and feel that you're doing this, but it feels unnatural. It doesn't feel authentic. Exactly. Yeah, it is a lot. I mean, there's just some folks on Instagram who are just so good at sharing tidbits about their life, good and bad. And I like that. Yeah. I really, really relate yeah. to those bloggers and those folks who can talk to me about the worst days that they've had in such a beautiful, eloquent way. And then the next day, yeah. they're sharing something that I, I want to celebrate them on. And I love that. But sometimes yeah. seeing feeds where it's just like, their photo, amazing, their photos, amazing, amazing. Yeah, their selfies. It's it's tough. I mean, it's a lot to do that. It's a lot to digest that on a daily basis. So I really, really, you know, give shout out and kudos to those bloggers and creatives and people in general who can share the dark side and the downsides. And and For I sure. I love reading that. I know it gives me some hope and solace knowing, okay, wow, like that person has like the I most know. perfect life, quote unquote. Um, but they're going through this too. So I think no matter how much you grow, no matter how much you achieve, you're always going to be, you're always going to fear failure. It doesn't matter who you are. Like, you know, like Kevin Hart even talks about failure and him being, I just watched his new special and he literally was speaking about um, how this new wave of social media and how Gen Z folks are ripping him apart for the even like the most simplest things that he's saying on social. So I mean, even well, such a big comedian like him can feel scared because I mean, that's really what social media has done for us right now, right? Like as much as we love it, and as much as we are a part of it, it can also rip you apart. So I think that yeah. the fine line between sharing too much, not sharing enough, um, or bragging or being arrogant or yeah. not arrogant. I mean, there's a lot of blurry lines there. And I think, you know, I'm a massive advocate for sharing good and bad days. But I also think sometimes, and I, and I was a bit naive to this because I posted about this a year ago and I said, you know, I want to start sharing my negative days. And I think it's so important because when people often look at your life, they think you're living this incredible, amazing life and you're having awful days where you're crying and feeling really depressed and really low and people have no idea. And, you're, and I felt like sometimes I was giving off a false image. So I've started to share some days where I am feeling like that, where things don't go right with my podcast, I think every single one has gone wrong in some way. Um, 
and I share that, but there are some things, and I was naive in believing that you can share everything because there are some things that are not your things to share and they can somehow affect you, but you can't share them. So, you know, recently I found that with certain things in my life, it's, it's impossible for me to share on social media. So I've just taken a step back because I don't feel like I can post at that time and show that I'm living really a happy life and when there's stuff going on. But sometimes it isn't for you to share. And I think people need to really realize that with social media is one element of somebody's life, even if they're posting seven videos a day on a story. That is probably seven minutes of their 24 hours a day. So it's so important to have that perspective. And I think the other thing about social media, it's so important to be really selective about who you follow and the communities that you're in and the communities that you can create. So by creating this podcast community, I feel like I'm connecting with so many amazing people. And I love the people who I follow. I love the people who come up on my newsfeed. I mean, there are so many people that come up on my share feed or whatever it's called that I wish I didn't see all the time. But at the same time, I really am selective in who I follow because it's so important for me to be selective on social media for things that are good for me and things that make me feel happy and for people who are real and for people who share things like, you know, Rashma Sajani, you know, my auntie, she shares Failure Friday every Friday and every Friday I just think, wow, you are just sharing such an amazing thing that I don't even have half, like I don't have a husband, I don't have a kid. And even the things that she shares on that, I feel, gosh, you're so real and it really resonates with me. And that really makes me feel so much better about the one thing I felt about in life, you know, or really makes me think differently about how I can use that as a lesson for something that I can adopt. And I think it's so important that we see comparison sometimes as a good thing as well, because if people share their comparisons in a positive way, you can learn from it. You know, we, we can see comparison as a, in, as a good thing because you can look at somebody and think, how can I learn from that? How can I adapt the lesson that they shared into my life? It shouldn't just be a negative thing. And we are so critical of social media, but actually it's an amazing tool that all helps us connect. I mean, me and you would have never have spoken today if it wasn't for social media. I wouldn't be doing my podcast if it wasn't for social media. So I'm so grateful for it in so many different ways because of the people I can speak to and the places I can connect. Exactly, absolutely. No, I mean, it's so well put. If you can find that harmony um, with mm. social media, which is a tough act to follow, finding harmony for yourself um, on social media, not just a few times a week, but every day of the year. Yes. That's exactly. really tough. I mean, holidays make it harder. Birthdays make it harder. Big tra- tragedies around the world make it harder. So, I mean, there's a lot to always look out for on social media that mm. you may not have the best experience every day or the same experience every day. And so you're so right in sharing even the hardest days, but it's okay that you don't share it in that moment. So for instance, yeah. the last seven days, our website has crashed and you yeah. know, like I just haven't been posting. Of course I've posted for Brown girl and I've posted for yeah. our other work accounts, but I haven't posted for myself because you're right. It's really tough to share anything when you're not feeling it. And I've really avoided my own Instagram for almost the past week. And I miss it. I hate to say that I do miss it. So I can't wait to go back. But it is really hard for me to share anything about my life when I'm not having a good day. Um, And I'm also not good at sharing my bad days. I'm just I just don't know how to do it. I'm good about doing it. If you're my friend. I'm very good about being honest about my feelings. Like if you hit me up and say, how are you doing? I will be very honest and say, I'm not doing good. Here's why. Like, so I'm better at doing that with my own personal set of friends. 
Um, and I'll like kind of hint at it a little bit via maybe Insta stories, maybe via Instagram, yeah. Instagram feed, but I haven't found enough confidence yet to, to show all, to show all the, the shitty parts of my day. So yeah. I, I, I want to work on that because it's so important yeah. to do it. And I don't want to come off as, you know, fake. Um, and I, I definitely, I'm not a fake person. And sometimes being on Instagram does make you feel like you're being fake when you're not. And it's, mm. it's tough. It definitely does. And you know how you've just taken a week off. I think that doesn't make you, I think everyone has to do what works for themselves and just taking that week off and I think the importance is to not be posting when you're crying in your room with a duvet on your head, when you're sitting in your gown, eating ice cream and be posting an amazing selfie where you look great. I think because, and it's not necessarily about what other people are going to be thinking when you're doing that. It's making you feel that you have to pretend to be somebody else in that moment when you're feeling awful. And, you know, I think if that makes you feel amazing and it makes you feel like, okay, getting these likes and whatever is going to make me feel amazing. It may not be the right thing to do, but if it makes you feel okay in that moment, it makes you feel like you're going to get up and get ready, then that's amazing. Then do that. But for me, it doesn't sit right with me to be feeling really low, going through a really hard time with other things and to be posting on social media and people to be saying all these positive things because it makes me feel like, it makes me feel like a fake, just how you've said. So I think it's it's not a hard and fast rule. I think it's what everyone feel com- feels comfortable with as long as that it's not disrupting your own peace, which is what I think sometimes Instagram does do for a lot of people. So I guess before we close, um, I feel like I could just talk to you for hours on end. I feel like this, we could just talk about all the podcast topics I want to talk about just with you. And you put it all so well, and you, oh, um, you. I, 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 I know that I can listen to you on a podcast, so so I can be here listening to you. I'm good. <laughs> oh, I'm so oh, grateful. I'm so thankful that for for you being here as well, and for having this conversation with me. But before we close, what is the one thing you'd like to change around the Indian expectation on comparison? Of course, um, you know, I think that it's it's so important for all of us, South Asians or not, to look at ourselves before we look at anyone else. And I try my best to do that in any situation that I'm in. If it's a writer who's having a bad day and hasn't met a deadline, or if it's, you know, um, a small business brand partner who perhaps, you know, is being really annoying about one particular thing, or, or if it's my husband not you know, excited about something that I'm excited about, you know, I mean, it could be like the most like simplest things on a daily basis, but I genuinely do try my best in some capacity. If I'm not putting both my feet in their shoes, I at least try to put one foot in their shoe to understand that, Hey, this is where they're coming from. And this is how they're feeling. And then the second thought I always have in my mind is how would I want them to feel for me? That's so Mm. important. And you have and you give that back, you know, so if I want you to feel empathy for me, I have to first show you empathy, you know, and if I want you to feel excited for me, I have to first show you that I'm excited for you. So if I want cool comments and people congratulating me, I have to make sure that I am being really, really um, regiment about going on my Instagram feed, scrolling through and actively scrolling through, not passively and actually sharing the love, showing the love, sharing stories, um, swiping up, buying products from other people on Instagram. Right. And I think that concept can be, that can be applied anywhere is the way you want people to treat you, think about you, look at you, you should treat them that way first um before you can expect anything back in return so maybe that will help i i think that um 
I think, you know, I've lived by that notion for at least a while now. And, um, and I hope that. that the next generation can do it too. And I hope I can hopefully pass that on to my kids. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's so powerful and it's such a positive way to look at things as well. And so, you know, thank you so much for coming. I know this has been really hard for us to organize and we've been wanting to do it for so long. So I'm so happy we, I'm so happy we finally have. And um, I can't wait to speak to you again. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate you so much and I wish you all the best in this season. Thank you so much. See you soon.